0: Hello dudes, dudettes, duders, and everyone in between, and welcome to The Hollywood Fishbowl. I'm your host, as always, Jesse Kester. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at HWFishbowl. We are on iTunes, where we love, we absolutely love reviews, so come on over and Give us them them old fivey starsies that you love to give so much. It don't cost you nothing, friend. Not a penny. And what you get in return is basically nothing, friend. Not a penny. But uh, we, it, you know, it, it keeps it keeps the momentum up. It, it lets uh, iTunes know that the people care about what what we're doing over here. And if you care, uh, share. If you care, share. That's the motto on the Hollywood Fishbowl. If you care, to share, share to care. Uh, uh, Faith-Based Film, we continue our epic saga with part three of four as we kind of dive into the waters of faith-based filmmaking, and our guest is... Dallas Jenkins, he's a director. He swings by L.A. every now and then, and we got very, very lucky to get him in that window where where he could swing by, where he was in town, and he did have two hours off, so he he done swung by and shared his his wisdom and, and insight into the world of producing faith-based film, the world the world of directing, the the complexities of that, and uh, he he has some some. Heavy, uh, not heavy. Some very light uh, ideas on. Uh, I don't mean light in that they're useless. I mean that the solution that he's offering is. Light. Anyway, the question is: How can we improve faith-based filmmaking? How can we? How can we better build these films so that uh, that non-believers? Don't run for the hills screaming when when they, they hear that the film is a faith based that they can watch it and enjoy it and uh, I think uh, the 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 resurrection of Gavin Stone this is one of one of Dallas's films it it's a, a pretty good it, it points the needle in the right direction of where we might be headed with faith faith based film as we try to try to um, improve the genre. And the other the other trick is how do you how do you make the film more palatable for everyone else without alienating your core audience or confusing them about what the film is or what it's been. We get into all of it and Dallas is uncharacteristically candid and I don't mean uncharacteristically for him I mean uncharacteristically candid for for a director who is shopping around projects who's pitching all the time and who has a who has a track record the the, the things we get into on this conversation about Gavin Stone and, and about his future projects, he, he holds nothing back. And, and uh, Dallas, I cannot say thank you enough for, for your candid candor, um, which is could be an alternate name of this show if I didn't think that people would think it was like a cheap ripoff of, of um, Candid Camera. Anyway... Uh, we did get a little bit of feedback on on our faith-based series so far, and I wanted to share it with you. I'm not going to attribute it because that's not the important thing. Uh, th- look, the reality is if you hear this and you know who it is, then you know who it is. And if you don't know who it is, it doesn't matter. This isn't, it's, you got me, it's Jim Carrey, not Jim Carrey. Anyway, um, just wanted to share this because I, I liked the ideas tucked in inside of it. Uh, our, our uh, long-time listener, several-time caller, says, I also am still searching for answers and will arrive at my own conclusions if I live long enough. We're talking about God and faith here. I think at this point I believe that I am part of God's physical body, but God has no particular interest in me because I am one of six or seven billion other parts and easily replaceable. Now, this touches on something that I absolutely... I don't know if I agree with this, but I kind of go into, I, I, I enter the same building through a different door. Uh, cards on the table, I am a dyed-in-the-wool agnostic. Uh, if, if there is a God, I pray, I pray that God does not meddle in the affairs of man. I find that wholly unfair, that if there is an omnipotent being, an om- omniscient being, and omnipotent, that they would influence the course of, of our, that he or she or it would influence the course of our lives. That's not what the point is of living or of being divine. The point of living is to explore. I feel, I feel you can have your own feelings. The point of living is to explore and to discover and to uh, make errors and improve on those errors. That's the human experience. And the divine experience is to, to build the, the field on which we play and then pull back and let us play, the same way that you know parents might pull back and let their kids be adults once they're adults. Anyway, back to the back to the write-in letter. Uh, I am one of six or seven billion with a capital B, other parts and easily replaceable. That's that's empirically true. We are all uh, easily replaceable and there are billions of parts in this in this organism that we form. How I influence or help those around me has more significance than life after death and the punishment or pleasure that tabloid religions promise. Um, the, the, The email goes on. I hope the above declamation influences you not at all. Final line of the email. I guess your podcasts are pretty cool. So thank you for writing in. We always appreciate feedback. The whole point of this, the reason, the raison d'etre for the Hollywood fishbowl is that we have an open and ongoing exchange of new ideas that are, that are kind of outside of, of ourselves. And I'm stepping pretty far outside of myself with, the, you know I'm not, you know I love to study religion, but I'm stepping pretty far outside of myself with this faith-based filming. I do not watch faith-based films. And I'm doing that now to learn more about the medium and the people involved in it. We got one more. We got one more coming next week. And it is hot. I'm not even going to tease it more than that. But I'm very excited. I haven't done the interview yet. But it's a it's 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 a doozy as we say here on the fishbowl so uh without further ado i ask you to go give us five stars on itunes because it does help our ranking i give to you the one the only Dallas Jenkins. Drops. Morpheus is fighting Fighting Neo at the same time. At the same time. uh, Wow. That part didn't work as well. No, that's okay. Uh, Welcome to the Hollywood Fishbowl. My name is Jesse. I'm your host. And today I'm joined by the one, the only, the illustrious. Dallas Jenkins. Dallas Jenkins.
1: Welcome to the party. How have you been? I was so confused when you were introducing me as illustrious i didn't almost didn't know who you were talking about no Sorry.
0: actually i was talking to the guy behind you <laughs> okay good you can step aside right, right. thank you and morpheus is done fighting
1: neo hello and welcome to the program how's it going good thanks so much for having me
0: i got a quick question because i love to be disappointed on air so here we go i'm
1: i'm, I'm ready to disappoint
0: editor Jonathan Olive is he North Carolina School of the Arts Jonathan Olive she is oh I'm not even disappointed okay good he was the year above me when I was going to school very cool I almost and we we had always when we were when we were going back to school um we would talk we would talk about doing like uh what we wanted to do was take the books from the bible and write uh radio shows that would update them to modern day and not be like, this is the book of Isaiah. If, if you weren't a follower, you would have no idea that it was book of Isaiah or whatever book it was. Oh, interesting. And if you were a, a believer, you'd, mm-hmm. you'd be right in. You'd know exactly where everything is headed as you listen to the story. Interesting. Um, so I'm, so. I'm, I'm glad he followed the path of faith. At
1: least one of us. Yes. Huge yes. <laughs> close. Yes. So, yeah, he, uh, he edited my, uh, my last short film that turned into a pilot, yada, 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 long story. but uh, But yeah, Jonathan's great.
0: What, what dirt do you have on him? Let's, let's, uh,
1: this is the Jonathan trash talk messy corner. What do you know? Um, I, I don't have dirt on him because when I worked with him at his house, I actually mm-hmm. had to take my shoes off. The house is extremely clean. So I literally have no dirt. Okay.
0: On so, oh, okay. Yeah. It's yeah. a, it's a joke. Yes, I know. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Um no, I'm so, I'm so I was so happy to see his name on on the thing. Uh, before we let's back up a little bit. Right. Let's go let's let's go back. Um we do 5 and 5 at the top. Okay. So I'm going to ask you 5 questions. You have 1 minute to answer each question. We have a little timer that goes beep 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 to tell you your time is up. Are you ready? I am absolutely ready. Question 1. Uh, where did you grow up and how did that inform your adulthood?
1: I grew up in a place called zion illinois and uh every street name in zion is a biblical name it was founded as a christian city Mm -hmm. where literally back in the 1900s early 1900s you had to be a christian to live there and the rules of the town actually like on sunday there was no work allowed Mm -hmm. it was like very very odd um now, by the time, of course, we lived there, none of that was, was still the case, but um, it informed who I am today because, again, it's kind of a, a smallish suburb of Chicago, and I have a very Midwest sensibility, even though I'm a filmmaker and always kind of wanted to, to be in pop culture media um, after I had my, my sports period. And so I've never left that sensibility. You know, even now that I'm working in, you know, doing Hollywood stuff, I'm still a Zion guy.
0: Awesome. Next question. Are you ready?
1: I, I have to be.
0: What is the must engage media, the book, the movie, the record that you should absolutely read, watch, listen to before you die? One that I haven't read or watched yet? Oh, no, just oh. kind of your favorite. The thing that, that you that, that uh, sh- exposed the DNA of the universe to you or however.
1: OK, so I would say the movie um, that. It, I, I have most wished that I could have been the one to make the one that, that that influenced me the most is it's a wonderful life um I watch it literally every year I weep literally every time I watch it um it's it's my it's almost every project I've done has has been informed or influenced by that in some way um And then I think for aspiring filmmakers I always tell them uh, the one of the great books, ever on that type of subject is making movies by Sidney Lumet. Um, it's, you know, it's, 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 an invaluable resource. Awesome. I remember the next question. Good for you. <laughs> and you. I'm, I'm proud of you. Uh, what, what is your greatest source of joy in this world? My faith in Christ, for sure. Uh, I'm a, I'm an, uh, an un, unapologetic believer. Um, and that of course is the foundation through which then I've met my wife and my, you know, have my kids. And so they're obviously on the practical level, my greatest source of joy. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of that is the case if I'm not, you know, if, if I don't have my faith, uh, which is what I've, what I've been, where I've been my whole life. So that's for sure the, my, my greatest source of joy. And I always like to talk about the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is kind of a surface level thing that goes up and down. But even in my greatest pains in my life, there's that kind of un unadulterated joy that still exists that doesn't change whether you're happy or sad if that makes sense
0: it does and that's why we say the greatest source of joy and not happiness on this program oh good not that's an accident good nothing no words are accidental on this show absolutely <laughs> alright
1: you're doing fantastic you ready for the next one I believe I'm doing I, I, just feels, I feel like I'm just killing it what gets under your skin oh wow really good question um I my, my kryptonite Yes. Is um, is what I call sometimes emotional terrorism, which is when you're having a discussion with someone, and whether it's a debate or any kind of discussion, and they exaggerate my position or what I'm trying to say to justify their position, It's it drives me crazy. I have, I have, I have a touch of Asperger's, so I'm a little okay. bit of a kind of a clarity-obsessed, accuracy-obsessed accuracy person, and so I sometimes miss subtext occasionally. But when people are accusing me of subtext, something that I'm not actually saying, I'm like, no, my words mean what they mean. Don't respond to something I'm not saying. It's my, it's my greatest source of frustration, especially on Facebook. It's a hotbed. That's oh, all yeah. Facebook yeah. is. Yeah. So, yeah, you could say something like, I like X, and they'll go, gosh, why are you so obsessed with Y? And I'm like, but I didn't say Y. Bad I said invention. X. Right.
0: What is your advice for beginners? Let's go with beginners in faith. I think we talked to enough filmmakers on here, but what interesting.
1: Beginners of faith, just dipping their toes in. Um, well, it's very common to tell people that if you're if you're at all exploring faith of any kind uh, in 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 the Bible, the book of John is kind of the first book that you typically point to people just to kind of introduce them to who Jesus was. Um, I think the book, uh, if you're a thinker. Um, you know the book mere christianity by c.s lewis starts from the beginning of like all right let's just analyze why we're here on earth is there a why and then it just kind of takes you slowly through that process and so i tend to be a thinker myself so i read even that book when i was older and it helped kind of reinforce my faith but i think for the beginner in faith uh, for sure the book mere christianity by c.s lewis is a is an unmissable one
0: and your timing was impeccable on
1: that one. Yeah, I have an inter- internal clock.
0: You are done with five and five and you killed it. That was uh, that was a, a great five and five. Thank you oh, so thank much you. For, for sitting through that. Thank you. Let's ease off the throttle a little bit and get to know you as a human being and not Good. as a, a timed uh, interview <laughs> Good. deposition. All right. um, Zion. Zion, Zion, Zion. Okay, so you tell take us back to Zion. What is it like growing up in this
1: town that is uh, built on Christianity? Uh, It it evolved, but yeah, well, yeah. By the time I lived there, you wouldn't consider it a Christian town. Although, what was interesting, I still have this memory of when I was young, an atheist, uh, an act, an activist atheist was driving through the town and saw our city seal, Mm -hmm. which is a every city, of course, has like a symbol or a seal, and it's it was a cross, a dove, and a scepter. Uh, all biblical symbols, and he sued the city for the you know violation of separation of church and state. And all the people who lived in the town, most of whom by this point aren't believers, but it was, um, but but it had been founded as that uh, were defensive because they they said this is our history. This isn't like they, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. the town is actually kind of uh, kind of behind it. And the city motto was "Our God Reigns." And so there was a six-year court battle, and the town ended up changing. They they were able to keep their city seal, but they changed their motto to "In God We Trust" because they knew that well. We're not going to lose that battle because if you yeah. lose that battle, then the then then the, the whole know. America <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> go reprint the money. Yeah. So um, again, it wasn't a Christian town per se. I mean, that's kind of an odd. I don't think that really exists much anymore. But. <laughs> um, but again, the the, the small—I mean, it was about 15,000 people. It wasn't a tiny town by any means, but the notion of, you know, just a Midwest suburb, it was it was very mixed. I mean, it, in, in many ways, like, racially mixed, although it was segregated, like most towns are, um, in terms of, like, this part of the town is where most of the white people live. This part of the town is where most of the black people live. This is actually a Jewish section kind of town. Kind
0: of passive segregation. Yeah, right, right,
1: for sure. Um, And—but I— you know, and I, I went to a small Christian school. Um, I was very much uh, surrounded in my—I I lived in what I would consider to be a somewhat small world. And yet I always was asking questions while I was growing up. Um, for example, I wanted to—first, I, I, I was kind of a jock. I was a, a sports guy. Um, I saw the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest when I was mm-hmm. in ninth grade, and that redirected the course of my life. I saw that movie and went, oh— I want to do that. I want to arouse emotion in people oh, the same okay. way that. movie Okay, I was did trying to me. think of, like you were
0: inspired to go to
1: a. Uh, oh, convict who right <laughs> sneaks yeah. into an insane asylum. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, no. It was um, just the the way that that movie aroused emotion in me. I, I thought I want to do that in other people, and um, and again, I lived in a very it was a very conservative Christian you know bubble, and. Um, I've, I've maintained, you know, politically, um, uh, spiritually the, the roots of my upbringing, but I'm, I'm very much an envelope pusher. I, I wanted to kind of do something that would impact the world. I wanted to do eventually, like I said, I wanted to get into film and media, um, I was always wanting to kind of do something bigger. And I know that sounds like the cliche of the small town guy. Like I just yeah. wanted to break out and, and see the world and escape but the trappings cliches but exist for a reason right. because, right. but I, but, the, but the thing is I, I left the small town and went to do the, the big thing in the big world, but never lost my love for my upbringing. I am not someone who says that I've, I'm rejecting my upbringing and, and trying to, 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 and, and that and, and, you know you, a lot of times you see people who make films who had strong faith upbringings or strong or small town upbringings or Midwest upbringings or whatever it is. and a lot of their movies are they're wrestling with their pain from that. and I don't have that. Um, I don't have the I don't have pain from it at all. I, I love it. I just and in fact what's funny is now I live back in the Chicago suburbs where I'm making movies. so it's kind of like my my upbringing, not literally informed my adulthood because I'm I'm kind of back to my roots, but but doing the thing that I still wanted to do in pop culture media.
0: You're talking to a small town boy who grew up kind of you know not not a, not as deep in faith as you, but tucking right. into the church and tucking out right, and right. treasure those man, treasure a small town upbringing right. and love bringing it to the big right. city.
1: Right, and I think every I think everything in life is a strength and a weakness, and I think there are obviously weaknesses of you know Midwest smaller town conservative Christian upbringings. Um, but there's also great strengths. And I think life is finding, making sure you're maximizing the strengths and minimizing the weaknesses of anything. Did you ever feel like you were new to faith or is it before you can remember it was part of your life? Before I can remember. I mean, I, my, my father is a very well-known, uh, Christian author and leader. He wrote a book series called left behind, which has sold 70 million copies and is you know big. So I was, I grew up kind of just in, in, embreded into that. I don't know if you know if that's a word, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I was, I was in you know, church from when I was born. Um, and I didn't ever have, even while I was growing up, I didn't have great doubts or, you know, or, or, there's no teenage rebellion. No, I really wasn't, I really wasn't like that. And I even, I ended up going to a small Christian college and that was conservative Christian. And I, I've, I've had my share of, 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 you know, of great, Mistakes and all that. I, I, but but like I married my college sweetheart. We've we've had a largely successful marriage. I I didn't have the big break I, I know I've of course asked questions and I've I've had you know I've had wrestled with my faith many times throughout my life, but never in a I'm taking a year to go explore. The the you know what it would be like to to not have any faith yeah, and to yeah. just like live a life of of of, uh, of humanism and just so I can see what it's like I've I've never had that long I've never had a period of time longer than you know a few hours where I was like I am no longer a Christian what what kind of kicked off
0: those moments is it just curiosity or is it more traumatic experiences like what
1: were what was the catalyst for moments of of humanism it was. It was literally just my, my own humanity. I mean, temptation, it was, it was just, you know, I, um, I mean, there was a period of time where I was like, I remember I, for like several weeks, I would go to nightclubs because I was living, living pretty much by myself for, you know, for about a year. And I just was like, I, I was doing things that I'd never done before, but I never, I never felt comfortable you know, with, with some of like, I would do something like for, I'm just, you know, giving an example, but like I would go to a nightclub. I'd, uh, I have like, for example, I've never liked alcohol. I just don't like it. So I don't have any problem with it. I don't find it sinful, but I've just never liked it. The, the, the the things that people oftentimes explore when they're breaking free from maybe the trappings of their faith or of their upbringing, uh, I've, I've never really I never felt great about, I'm, I'm not a big drinker. I've never done drugs. Cause I just don't, I just don't have any interest in it. It was always more intellectual. It's always like, yeah. I wonder what this world is like that I hear so much about, you know, and it was never like, a, I want it, you know,
0: it's a lottery that not everybody wins. I'm also just not called to alcohol. There's nothing right. really appealing to me. Right. There's other people do not have that lottery win ticket that you and I
1: got. Right. And yeah. be,
0: so that's for challenge. sure. So,
1: yeah, but, but it, to answer your question, um, it was, it was literally, it it, would, it was always like temporary temptations or temporary um, opportunities that mm-hmm. I, I decided to not resist. Um, and then, and then like the next day would be like, yeah, that, that's not a world I, I want to be in. And I would, and then, but then of course, you know, maybe months later or something like that would happen again. I'm not giving great examples, but whether it was like online pornography or yeah. anything like that, like it was just, you know i would i would explore something just not because i was saying i want to do something different it was more just like oh this was in front of me and i'm i'm weak to to resist it yeah you know but it was never a long term pattern of like i want to you know i want to try a life of of without faith to see what that's like i i've I just haven't i've never really longed for that and and when i've questioned my faith the answers have come relatively quickly so there's never been a long rebellion, rebellion
0: how do how do those answers come to you what is what does that sound like when when the divine speaks in in ways that we can
1: understand well so for example i i again i come from a very conservative christian upbringing you know b- the bible is the literal word of god the world was created in six days. Um, the earth is, you know, 20,000 years old. That kind of a thing. That was my upbringing. And do you, do you still rock that, that no, belief well, system? Not or? really. Well, most of it I do. But like, for example, I have come to, you know, As I, now I'm 43 years old. And so your, your, your question is, what? how did I get answers to these questions? So, for example into my 30s, I started to realize, okay, the notion that the earth is 20,000 years old and the notion that, that, um, every word of the Bible is, is inerrant, which is a common term in Christianity of like, the, you know, some people believe the Bible is inerrant, meaning there's, there's no, there's nothing it's about one to one it. ratio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything in there is, is exact. And, and God wrote it himself just through the people who yeah. were writing the words and, um, And I just started to realize that some of that I don't I don't necessarily believe, and um, and yet that didn't shake my faith. So so it's like I, I you know so there are some stories in the Old Testament that I don't think are necessarily literal, and I'm like okay so if that's the case. Does that mean my whole faith is wrong and that the Bible is is not the word of God? And I, you know, my answers were always no. That doesn't mean that if the Earth isn't twenty thousand years old and evolution is actually a part of the creation plan, um, does that shake my faith? No. It it it, it and I, I would then I would fi- I would just find answers that that satisfied me in that regard. I do believe, you know, I know this isn't a show about you know creation versus evolution, but I do believe undoubtedly that there is an intelligent designer. And that God did uh, initiate the creation of the world, but the facts of it, the details of it, I, 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 in my thirties, I started to just question some of the dogma of my upbringing and realized, yes, yeah, some of that is just you know, some of that is is crap, you know. So some of my of my upbringing, some of the things I was, you know, uh, was was learning, were just not totally accurate. And it did, but it again, it never shook me because again, I've seen things that I can't unsee, I've 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 experienced um god moments that I can't un- experience or unknow. I've seen miracles, I've seen um I I've, I've experienced relationships that that were, could not have been anything other than designed by 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 a being or a someone who cares about me and loves me. And I believe that Jesus of Nazareth lived and was the son of God. And so because because I genuinely believe that the questions or doubts or whatever that surround that don't frighten me.
0: I think like you're, you're touching on something that that I think about a lot. I think the, the, if it's, if it's not literal, if it's not an inerrant text, it, Mm aren't like for me it comes alive when the metaphors start unfolding when it becomes poetry and not just right. literal accounts of history that's yeah. when that's when i see d- divinity in the stories
1: see, that's really well said so that's the thing there there are stories in the old testament and the new testament that i do believe are literal and historical and then there are stories that i believe are are, are um, you know poetic or metaphorical and the bible doesn't say like i, I kind of grew up believing th- that well, if you believe that some of them are poetic, you're disagreeing with the Bible. But the Bible doesn't inherently claim like every word of this actually happened in history. And, and and a lot of times Christians behave as though the Bible does say that. And even certain things that Jesus would say, you know, like like, you know, like for example, when he says um, you know, you you need to hate your mother and father and follow me. Well, clearly he doesn't mean There's, you're supposed to hate yeah. your mother and father. He's speaking metaphorically he's using terms that like are, are are intended to to kind of rock you and make you pay attention and stuff yeah. so, so it's the same thing with, with certain stories so but the fact that there are certain things in the Gospels and in the Bible that that don't add up perfectly mm-hmm. actually makes my faith even stronger because the fact that the Bible as a whole is so is as connected and beautiful and tells a coherent story as it does is in itself a miracle. And the fact that the writer, the people who collected the, the biblical text didn't change things to make it line up perfectly. So if one gospel writer says there were 5,000 people at this event and the other one says there were 3,000, it would have been easy for the for the people who were collecting the text to go, oh, we need to make sure that they both say 5,000 so no one's confused and no one thinks that, that the, the writers weren't got something wrong yeah and so and that some of the writers of some of these books actually weren't great writers you know like they were just kind of writing things down and collecting they're not great storytellers the fact that they weren't fixed by some board of of publishers who wanted yeah. to make sure there were no no awkward phrases or that nothing was even confusing proves to me that there wasn't uh corruption in the collecting of that's, the that's
0: that's when it feels uh least sincere to me when it's listing how many cubits a room should be and how many threads of gold need to be in each vestiment or whatever. Right. That's when I feel least close to the divinity. Right. So I, I actually
1: quite agree with right. with what you're saying that. Right. right. So that's the th- that's again my faith uh in a in a living breathing god and and in a son uh, you know named Jesus uh, has not been shaken even by the the fact that I've had questions or doubts about specific things, um, it's just, it, if anything, it's been strengthened. And of course, it's why I'm I'm de- and we can get into this later. But I'm developing a show about the life of Christ, and doing that has even made me more, you know, passionate in my belief.
0: Can I pay you one specific compliment on that on the pilot of that program? Sure. Uh, we need we need so much more uh, Pharisee roast comedy. Oh, I can't even tell you, yes. <laughs> not nearly enough. Right. You got like one, two jokes in there. I think you yeah. could have stretched that out for 15 minutes. Of well,
1: smoking that's smoking those fools. Yes, yes. And that's the thing. Um, I believe uh, the, the the show that I'm developing is called The Chosen, and it's about the life of Christ. But um, I, I believe very much. In fact, later today, I am meeting with a comedian. Mm-hmm. Who, who is literally helping me punch up the scripts comedy-wise because I believe very much that uh, comedy in the context of a biblical show uh, is not only makes it inherently more human, which mm-hmm. is what I want to do, mm-hmm. it makes it inherently more relatable, which is what I want to do, and which is I think most Jesus movies and, and miniseries have not been um, – but I think, like you said, you called it Pharisee roast. But I, it's so clear; it's so easy to just make certain characters villains and certain characters heroes, and just make them, you know, twirl their mustache. Or you can do it through humor, yeah. You know, and that's that's what I am passionate. And
0: that's about. what we do for anything that we that uh, any uh, any like them. It, the best way to process it is with humor. And right. and it, it, I did appreciate that that they were they were
1: going at it with the jokes instead of right. instead of uh, being harsh about it. Well, yeah, and you're you're referring to a scene where the shepherds. It's the the, the pilot episode that I did. It was a short film turned pilot. Um, it's about the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds. So. What did you shoot on? What, what was your camera on? that? Alexa. Okay, please continue. Oh, of course. So the shepherds are gathered around the campfire before you know shortly before the angels appear. And um, we actually, like, I wrote a couple jokes. I wrote a couple lines that, that they ad-libbed a few things. Mm-hmm. And there's just like this, you know, 90 seconds to two minutes of just kind of casual dudes hanging around insulting each other and then telling jokes about the Pharisees. Um, and that came from, again, a genuine desire to humanize the characters, to 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 make it more palatable. And then I think because of that scene... When they experienced the biblical story that we all know, it was that much more emotional, that much more powerful, because we had a, a, a connective, um, identifiable relationship with these characters, which you don't normally get in Jesus shows and movies. When I, was,
0: when I was but a lad, my father said something that always stuck with me, and that was that um, like making an audience cry is, is a cheap trick— but making them laugh, like if you can get a, an actual laugh out of, out of an audience, then you've done like you've, you've done a miracle in
1: filmmaking. Well, for sure. Comedy is by far the hardest thing to do. Um, it's actually one of the things I think I'm actually fairly good at. And I think it's, uh, it's, I love doing it in the context of drama, um, which makes it even, I think more powerful. But if you have a drama without comedy anywhere in it, you're dead in the water, in my sure, opinion. For sure. So, um, Jerry Seinfeld described comedy. I'm a big comedy buff. I'm a stand-up comedy nerd. I, I, I've always been, I've always loved comedy. I've always loved being funny. Um, but he said when when he described this a couple of years ago, it really stuck 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 with me. He said comedy is or making someone laugh is by definition domination, because when you are causing someone to do something spontaneous that they weren't planning to do, a, a laughter is by definition a spontaneous out of control yeah, yeah. act, and you're getting someone to respond to you in an out of control manner. You know that's not practiced. It's by it's by nature domination. Now that's a harsh term for it. It is. But like when I've sat in a in a in a test screening or in a in a premiere or whatever from one of my movies, and the audience doesn't want to be ahead of you as the filmmaker. They wanna they wanna be led, you know? And whenever you have a bad scene or a bad performance or a dumb line, the audience, whether subconsciously or consciously, thinks to themselves so I know that that's bad. The uh, the filmmaker didn't know that was bad. I guess I can't trust the filmmaker, and now yeah. I'm ahead of the film or the, or the show. But when you make them laugh, they by definition, you're ahead of them. By yeah, definition, yeah. you said or did something that caused them to go, ha, yeah, and yeah, respond. Yeah. And so that's, um, like, again, in the context of a Jesus show, where I'm trying to tell the stories of Christ in a way that actually leads people to an emotional response. If I can actually make them laugh even just subconsciously, I'm, I'm doing my job because they're, again, they're surprised. But that's,
0: that's a big question on my mind is, uh, and you brought it up. So, you know, take some responsibility if you don't like this question. Fine, fine, fine. How do you stay ahead of them when they're the only, the, not the only, but the main reason they're coming to seek out that media is because it's the story that they've been reading every day for their whole lives. Like, how do you, how do you keep ahead of that? That's how.
1: Okay, I mean, cool, but With With humor. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. Humor is one big thing. Um, I mean, you're bringing up the entire reason I'm doing this show and, and the entire conceit of the show, which is to, to bring the stories of Christ uh, in a fresh way, um, to, to especially to, to give fresh life to the characters uh, who Jesus touched, which in, in most Jesus movies and Jesus miniseries, Jesus is the main character, mm-hmm. which is actually bad drama. Because having a, your protagonist be someone who's perfect yep, and, yep, yep. and has nowhere to go or nothing to learn is, by definition, bad drama and bad storytelling. It's, I mean, um, he can't even die. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's well said. Um, but but uh, the, the notion of, of your main character being perfect and inherently unrelatable— Mm -hmm. you know even as much as we say jesus was was not only divine he was human um we can identify maybe with the pain that he experienced and that's good but we can't identify with with all the decisions that he made of the fact that he just you know lived this what we contend is a perfect life so point being how do you tell the stories of christ which are well known um to an audience uh who I'm I'm trying to not only reach a christian audience but a, but a, an unbelieving audience because of just because I just want to be a good storyteller that that everyone wants to watch the fact is you humor is very unexpected in that context um, I mean, I literally—I remember—I uh, I did a vignette for my church. I went to the, this huge church in Chicago, fifteen thousand people, and on a Good Friday service, and I, I created some vignettes about Jesus.
0: Was it the church in
1: Gavin Stone? Is yes. It, okay, yeah. so it's that same. Yeah, Harvest Bible Chapel okay. in, in Chicago. Which Sorry is, to interrupt. No, <laughs> it's fine. Where we shot some of our my Resurrection of Gavin Stone, um, and the uh, for our Good Friday service, I created a couple of vignettes that took place. During in between the time Jesus had died and resurrection, so the disciples are in hiding, and again, it always starts with I've been a believer my whole life. I know all the stories of Jesus very well. What's something I actually haven't seen before, and then how do we, that's where we start. So anyway, long story short, I, I, I created this scene where where um, the disciples and Jesus are sitting around a fire, and uh, the scene starts with some arm wrestling, and they're all kind of teasing each other, and they're and it's it's very casual. And one guy wins an arm wrestling match over the other guy. So uh, Thaddeus, the disciple, beats Andrew in the arm wrestling match, and it shocks everybody because Andrew never loses an arm wrestling. And they're all laughing and going, I can't believe it, and I can't believe uh, Thaddeus won. And Jesus says, even I didn't see that coming. And when I wrote that, my wife was even like, and she's very funny, and she's she she loves doing things that are different. She's like, I don't know if the audience will like that. You know, Jesus making fun of his own divinity. The audience, there was a... i don't know how else to describe it there was a collective you could feel it laughter and warmth at the same time yeah
0: like okay we're in
1: this place it was totally like we can talk about this and i got after the afterwards i got more comments about like just people saying seeing jesus tell a joke was so wonderful and so warm and it was almost emotional because it's like He's so, like, it made him more. There must connected. have been a warmth to him. Of there course. must have been a humor in Of course. <laughs> joy so, to him. Yeah, and he was, he was always. He was always, you know, whether it was through humor or even through drama, teasing people. He would kind of test people. He would say, "Oh, well, look at you," or "Oh, who," you know, even with he's talking to Nicodemus in the most famous chapter in the Bible, John chapter three, John three sixteen. You know, at one point he's saying, "Well, look, you know, you're the big teacher of Israel. You don't understand some of these things I'm talking to you about." Like he was, he was undoubtedly a funny guy and a, how could you not be funny? Like, how could you not have, how could you have that many people pay attention to what you're saying and have no humor in exactly. it? whatsoever? Exactly. So all th- this is a long way of saying your, you know, your question was, how do you, how do you keep things fresh and how do you tell a story that, that people are, co- they're, they're coming to see it because they know the story. That's what makes them compelled to see it. And the answer is A, uh, you know, one of them is humor, doing things slightly differently. Um, and then other the other way is just addressing Jesus from a unique perspective, which is from his followers. Jesus isn't the main character of my show. He's one of them. But it's similar to the, the show The West Wing, where the president—I mean, Martin Sheen always got the best actor nominations, but he wasn't the lead actor of the show. The show was more about the people around him, and he kind of—he was—because he was the most— um, the biggest and and least flawed character. They didn't spend tons of time on him. They spent tons of time on his on his you know the people who surrounded him, and that's kind of where this show is going. The Chosen, which is it's a multi season show. That's the other thing that's unique is there's never actually been a multi season show about Jesus, but where you can actually dig into the characters around him, um, experience Jesus through their eyes, and then ideally people would be impacted in the same way that those characters were because they're seeing Jesus yeah. in the same way those characters did.
0: And it's a good call to, to, to um, have, it, have you seen Hellboy? Yes, but um,
1: a, a, a while ago, but I'm not, okay. a, I'm not an Just expert on th-
0: it. They have that, the, the one, the, the Milk toast guy who comes in and sees this wild world, instead of dumping the audience into the wild world, they dump them into Mr. Milktoast himself so that we can all kind of ride with him. Exactly. I'm not saying that your character, but you know, no, it's very well said,
1: well, and, and the, the, the pilot episode, um, which is the thing that got people, you know, interested in the show. That's another story of the whole crowdfunding behind my show. The pilot episode that I did, it started just as a short film for my church, and then it it kind of blew up a little bit and and, and ended up leading to what this show that I'm doing. But again, the main character of this pilot is the shepherd, mm-hmm. um, who's not named in scripture and, and 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 the things I invented some things about him, but we we see this whole story of the birth of Christ in 18 minutes through the eyes of this shepherd yep. who's the lowest of society, who's even— I mean, he can't even uh, get a good lamb. Exactly, exactly. So he's he's even within the context of the, the group of shepherds. He's the the newcomer, the rookie, the one who's kind of yeah. outcast a bit. And so, you know, people—like, for example, uh, a recent producer uh, who's, who's working with me on this show— was talking on camera about why he was doing the show and he was weeping saying I'm an Idaho farm boy and seeing the birth of Christ experiencing the birth of Christ through the perspective of this poor shepherd yeah was was transcendent yeah. and and I've never I've never had an opportunity to do that before and I think that's what this show can do for people is they can identify with Simon Peter or they can Mm -hmm. identify with Mary Magdalene or they can identify with Nicodemus, the religious leader. I mean, he's one of the main characters, the religious leader who was trapped in religious dogma and the trappings of, of the structure of his faith and the works and actions of his faith, but didn't actually have a real, you know, a real true passionate belief. And there's lots of people who can identify with those characters and seeing the... The, the stories of Christ and the Gospels through those perspectives and getting the backstory of that is the way that you freshen up this genre. Can we change gears a little bit? Oh, absolutely. It's um, sure.
0: Can I pay you a specific compliment on Gavin Stone? You you may. Okay. Uh, the, the, there's plenty to like in the film, but the thing that kind of really jumped out at me as, as uh, a coy, clever filmmaking was uh the the Shawn Michaels has the necklace on right. early on in the story. And I was looking at it thinking, that's a funky necklace. That's really right. good. What right. is what is that? The no no mention of it until right. Act Three. Yes. And you pay it off. You paid yeah. off the background the the, the dressing on his yes. on. really like that. I thought that went well. So
1: yeah, the the Resurrection of Gavin Stone is a movie that um The its failure is why I'm actually where I'm at right now. So the the resurrection, Gavin Stone. What was the failure? Well, it failed at the box office. So so it's a movie that I'm very proud of. I I I like very much. There's things about it that I that that didn't that I'm that I don't love. But but the the storytelling of it I'm very proud of. And the where do you reckon it fell short? If I can ask you a really direct question. So here's how it, how it came to be. So I'm working at this, uh, you know, I was living in Hollywood from 2000 to 2010, making movies, and I was doing fine. And this big mega church in Chicago asked me to come back in, to Chicago and and, and make movies um, with them, you know, through, through their context. Um, and it was a big church, they got a big operating budget, they got money, they got resources. And I thought, oh, the, the idea of, of doing some, you know, some projects with, with the, these resources could be an interesting idea. So very long story short, it didn't happen for several years. And I ended up making a short film for Christmas Eve for the church. That was, it's only, t- the only goal was to, was to do it for our church's Christmas Eve service. Cause I was so eager to do some filmmaking, which is what I came there to do. And it went great. And then, uh, a, f- a friend of mine named Scott Derrickson who directed Doctor Strange and Exorcism of Emily Rose he's my kind of my filmmaking mentor he said Blumhouse Jason Blum's production company the guy behind Get Out and Split and you know the the, the sinister movies and all mm-hmm. that big successful horror film guy and is he be- is Upgrade yes okay and he also did you know a, um, Whiplash for, I mean he's he's you know he's got two yeah. movies that have been nominated for Best Picture I mean yeah, yeah. anyway He's interested in the faith-based market. Mm -hmm. He's seeing that there's potential to be be successful in that market and is interested in it, but doesn't know anything about it. And I told him, you're one of the better filmmakers in that world. He should talk to you. So why don't you send him that short film you did for your church? And I totally laughed. I'm like, okay, I'm not sending one of the most successful producers in Hollywood a short film I did for my church. Yeah. yeah. He goes, well, I told him you're sending it, so go ahead and send it over. (laughs) And two days later, I get an email from Jason Blum saying, I cried I was moved. I want to be in business with you. This is the bullseye for what I'm looking to do. You know. Brilliant. Of course, yeah. I had to, I had to move to Elgin, Illinois to make it in Hollywood, apparently. So then um, Blumhouse connects with WWE Studios, mm-hmm. which is the you know the, the, the filmmaking arm of the wrestling company. Yeah. That was a surprising logo at the top of the of film. Of course, for, for a lot of people. So, so we've got a, a church in Illinois— A horror film company and a wrestling company all combining to make The Resurrection of Gavin Stone, which was the first movie in this kind of planned partnership that we were going to do of making multiple faith based movies. We all loved the movie. The movie scored, it was the highest scoring test screening that either company had ever experienced for any of their films. And then um, I think that when it came out in theaters, I just think a it kind of looks like a Netflix movie. It doesn't look like a theatrical movie. I'm not enamored with the the, the cinematography of it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not. I, I don't want to throw my cinematographer cinematographer under the bus. We just didn't have a lot of money, and and there was long story long reasons for that. But um, again, the 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 concept of a comedy. I mean, it's 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 more of a dramedy, but there's a lot of comedy behind it. It's not a sermon. It's not even though it takes yeah. place in a church. Um, you've got a movie that's set in a church. It's got plenty of of, of faith based activity in it, and the main character is an outsider, which we liked. The notion of experiencing church world through the eyes of an outsider, so that non believers could could identify with the main character.
0: And, and you had a lot of fun with the fake it till you make it kind of exactly. Yeah. He's pretending to be a Christian yeah. so that
1: he can he can uh, he can play the lead character in their big passion play. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of funny stuff in it, and, and, I, and I think it's a good film. I'm very proud of it, but I think. You know, again, nowadays this is true of both faith-based films and uh, mainstream films. Um, if you're not a big budget project that demands to be seen in a theater context, yeah, why wouldn't people just wait till it's on streaming, which is how they watch most of their entertainment now anyway? And there wasn't anything, I think, for the faith-based market that typically supports theatrical faith based films so you've yeah. got like the most the most successful ones like god's not dead or courageous or fireproof or um, some of these movies where the reason you're going is your your life your faith is actually going to you're, you're going to learn something you're going to be stronger in your faith your marriage is going to improve or you're going to you're going to you're going to be taught a sermon that's not the kind of movie that this was no it's not a nor is it an imax 4d experience for sure and we don't have a big name cast. There just wasn't enough in it that demanded you see this in a theater. Yeah, yeah. And so... But did it find a life in, in streaming and... Yeah, I mean, and, and here's the thing. I still, the most common question we get, or sorry, the most common comment we get about The Resurrection of Gavin Stone, and it comes over and over and over. And this is a this is a good lesson for, I think, all filmmakers, Um The most common comment we get relates to something that happened at the test screening. So at the test screening, we scored through the roof. It was really—the audience loved it. But I I noticed something that was both good and bad news. In a test screening, the audience checks off multiple boxes, and one of the questions is, did this movie exceed your expectations, match your expectations, or fall short of your expectations? We scored a 95% on exceeded expectations. Great, right? Yeah. That's what you want. Problem is that means that ninety five percent of the audience that went to see this movie had moderate to low expectations, yeah. which means that they probably wouldn't have seen it if it wasn't for free. Yep, yep, you yep, yep, yep. So I said at the time, this movie is a unique movie in the faith space. It's it's most faith movies aren't comic comedic. Um, we don't have big stars. Um, where the, there's not something in, even in the pitch of it, that's that like, that's tangible for a, a Christian to want to go see it in terms of this movie going to make your marriage better or whatever it is. So I said, this movie surprised people. They didn't expect to like it as much as they did, especially because again, most faith movies aren't very good. Um, and I mean, I've made, I've made faith movies that weren't very good, so I'm not throwing anyone else under the bus. Point being we had to overcome moderate to low expectations to convince people to see this movie. And the only way to do that is through word of mouth. And so you need to show the movie to as many people as you can. We didn't do, I should say they, the, the distribution company didn't do an aggressive screening program. So, you know, the movie comes out, people haven't heard that, wait, what your expectations are, you should you should get rid of them because you're going to love this movie. Yeah. So point, fast forward, the most common comments we get are, oh my gosh, I just saw your movie. I loved it. It was so much better than I thought it was going to be. Or my friend told me to watch it. And it's I don't, a, it's normally, a hard compliment to right, feel good right, on. Right, exactly. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I I feel I feel nice that that you watched it and liked it, but it's a bummer yeah, that you had yeah, to be convinced yeah. to even see it.
0: Yep, yep, yep. And that yep. You're,
1: so, so that's been the problem with that movie. So anyway, it bombed at the box office, and the— Literally, I went from and, and Walden Media was part of releasing it as well. Like they came in, loved the movie, wanted to release it. So that was we, another that, that was another big uh, uh, vanity card uh, at the beginning that I wasn't expecting. Exactly. So you've got you know three pretty prominent, successful you know wealthy companies in Hollywood who all want to be in business with me and who want after, who all loved my movie and want to do multiple movies in the future. Friday morning, the numbers come in. And, you know, as, as, as how box office works, you can tell within hours if yeah. the movie's going to be successful. I went from a made guy in Hollywood with a future of multiple movies with big companies to having nothing. Because after WWE, a wrestling company, after Blumhouse, a horror film company, after Walden, you know, a family-based company d- typically does bigger movies, dip their toe into the faith-based waters and it doesn't work. They, they dip go, that toe right back in. Yeah, and they go, <laughs> why don't we just stick with what we know, which is, yeah, you know, yeah. genre movies or whatever. And as I was sitting at home with my wife, you know, crying and praying and wondering what went wrong and wondering mm-hmm. how I just kind of lost everything, essentially, God— just really made it so clear, just pressed on our hearts the story of the feeding of the five thousand in the gospels, where Jesus, you know, he takes five loaves and Mm -hmm. or five fishes and two loaves and and multiplies them and feeds five thousand people. And what stood out to us about that story when we read it again that day for the and, and for the first time we noticed this, even though we've been believers our whole lives, was that Jesus let the people get that hungry. So like he'd been speaking for 3 days and the disciples said the people are hungry they need food he's like oh yeah i know and they're like we need to send them home so that they can get some food he goes if we send them home they'll faint along the way that's how how hungry they are well that wasn't a surprise to jesus he knew that he let it get to the point where the only thing left to do was a miracle and then when he distributed the food you would if you, you know jesus is a you know if you believe he's a miracle worker which i do he could have just magically caused loaves and fish to appear in everyone's laps. But what he did was he took the five fish and two loaves or five loaves and two fish. I'm getting it mixed up. Sorry. I don't remember. There will be a test at the end of the program. If you you fail, we're deleting all the footage. You can look it up and find out which one it was. But he, he had the disciples go bring him the food. Then when he multiplied it, he had them go distribute the food. He had them do everything they didn't need him for. And then the only thing that—so he left that—he left the miracle to himself, which is the only thing he could do. So I was like, it was it was just this really interesting—and we weren't sure exactly why we felt so compelled to, 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 to understand that, but just the notion of, you know, God—Jesus did the miracle part, the, but he had the humans do their part. And that night at 3 o'clock in the morning, I was, you know, on my computer typing out all the things that went wrong and what caused this failure— And I get this Facebook message that just pops up on my screen from someone I barely know. We're Facebook friends, but we've never met. And the person literally just says these words. This is all that came up. Remember, your job is not to feed the five thousand. It's only to provide the loaves and the fish. And this goes back to your earlier question about like when you have doubts or questions. Mm -hmm. What what are those moments that cause you to return to the divine? It's these kinds of moments. Yeah, like this him just reaching out, and I go, I go, why? why are you talking to me at three in the morning? He goes, well, I'm in Romania right now. So I'm in, it's in the middle of the day for me. And I said, may I ask why you just text, you know, why you just sent me that message? And he goes, it wasn't really me. I just felt led to tell you that. The guy barely know in Romania just feels led to tell me.
0: The exact perfect message that needs to be heard in that
1: moment. Yeah. Yeah, Related to, I mean, I literally wondered when he first typed that, I was almost frightened. I was like, did, did, is there a camera on my computer that recorded what I did with my wife earlier this morning when we were, when we were talking? So point being, I thought, of course, we were hoping that that meant that God was about to do a big miracle with the box office and the money was going to mm-hmm. come in, even though it didn't seem like it. No, that, and that was never the case. But it, it changed me because it really got me to a place where I'm, I don't feel responsible for the results of what I do. My job is just to bring the loaves and the fish. And so again, when I lost everything um, in terms of having a future of films with these companies, I then decided to make this other short film about the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds for my church's Christmas Eve service again. And once again, you know, it was my wheelhouse while I was making it. I just felt right. And I then I had this idea for a multi-season show because I was starting to get into binge watching great shows like The Wire and Breaking Bad and all this stuff. And I just thought, why has there never been a multi-season show about Jesus? So, if the, if, if, and, and that's led to where we're at today, where... Again, we're the you know currently as of the time of this recording, the fourth highest crowdfunded project of all time. You know, over six thousand people have contributed you know four and a half million dollars. That's the ultimate loaves and fishes. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. we're just. I'm just, and I didn't think this would ever work. But when the idea was presented to me of doing crowdfunding to, for this show, and I just laughed and thought, well, that'll never work. But I just at the same time thought, well. Again, it's not my job to feed the five thousand. Just my job to bring the loaves and the fish. Yep. Here's the pilot episode. Let's see what happens. Fifteen million people on Facebook watch it. It's seen on. There it is. It's seen on. You were doing so good too. Yeah, and I hit the hit the uh, <laughs> yeah. hit the microphone. We ago. wait
0: for that moment on <laughs> every episode. There has not been a single guest who is. I was thinking like he's going to make it because <laughs> you've been so careful.
1: Right. And so yeah, I, I'm I'm very expressive with my hand, but I I was containing it for the podcast, and now. I'm so proud. <laughs> so relieved. So <laughs> relieved. I was worried we weren't getting one. <laughs> All right. Please so, continue. Yeah. So, um, so you know, two million people watched this pilot episode in, in, on satellite TV and I ran. I mean, there's so many things of just like, again, the feeding of the 5,000 with just these mm-hmm. loaves and fish. And um, that's why I'm here today. It's where I, it's, you know, why I'm out in L- L.A. right now casting for this project because of the failure of the resurrection of Gavin Stone if it wasn't for that, I would probably be making another movie right now. And I don't think I would have been where I really need to be, which is the show. That's
0: Zoom out far enough and there are no failures. It's all it's all repairable
1: on a well, yeah, timeline. And, well, and yeah. And what we sometimes think is, well, the failure itself is repairable. But that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes the, the repair comes from somewhere else that you certainly didn't expect. And for me, that was absolutely the case. I mean, I... I if you would have told me after, I mean, well, and part of it is because, and again, you, you, I'm sure entrepreneurs tell this story all the time. I was at a place shortly after Gavin Stone where I literally said, I would be happy. I could find joy if I never made another movie again. I'm really, truly content with this failure. And I found, I've God has been more present with me in this moment after my failure than I've ever felt in my life. So I truly could could be content to not make another movie. I'm not pursuing the feeding of the 5000 myself yeah. anymore. It's not my job to feed the 5000. And out of that came the show
0: I really appreciate your your candor on that because it's you know it's not every day you get a director come in and and talk about you frame frame of work. I think Gavin Stone was good, to, so yeah. to, to hear you speak so openly about where you felt it, it hit and where it missed, I really really appreciate that, well, that
1: openness. And it's I appreciate you saying that. And it's funny I, I did a Facebook post about a week afterwards, and the Facebook post was pretty long, and I just said, "What do you do when?" a huge dream that you had fails and one of your biggest, you know, you you, you experience a failure in something that you're so passionate about. What's next? And I said, the fact of the matter is I could blame whoever I want, but I created a movie that people just weren't interested in seeing for all intents and purposes. And that's, I I have to take responsibility for that. That post, which was just on my private page, I don't have like a big public page that, Mm -hmm. you know, where things go viral or anything like that. But it got I think some somewhere of like 700 shares and you know which for a private page on Facebook is ridiculous yeah yeah people the response was overwhelming of it was similar to what you just said they're just like and I had several producers reach out to me and say I've literally never seen a director after his movie failed get on Facebook and talk about failure and accept responsibility for it. Like I've literally, it's literally never been done in their yeah. eyes because typically you're trying to spin things because you still want people to see it. So yeah, you're kind of like, yeah. oh, look, Hey, we're climbing up the charts or, Hey, look, we are per screen average was, yeah, you know, eight, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and and we're about to launch the streaming version. Yeah, right, you can right. get it on iTunes. Yeah, yeah. It has finally a chance for everyone to see it. Yeah. And I just went online and was like, my movie failed and it's probably my fault, you know? Yeah. And then I gave a speech at a, at a, a faith based film festival a couple months later and kind of it, the whole speech was the same thing. Like you typically, when when they ask speakers to come to these film festivals or faith-based conferences, it's to usually pump up the audience or to give them advice. Yeah, yep, yep. And I came, I said, I, I said, I'm actually here to talk to you about my biggest failure. And I talked about it and talked about where I'm at. And I said, and at the time, I didn't have this show coming, but I was like, I, I, I stand before you right now as someone with without a defined future i don't know exactly what's next <laughs> so, and i've never been i've never had more joy and 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 i was emotional when i talked about it and, but it was just very raw and authentic and there was this massive long-standing ovation at the end of it and i just heard the other day from someone who was there too who's just random story but was talking about it who said it was like the talk of the festival because everyone was so moved by it and again i don't say that with any kind of with with, with it with any you know cockiness or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. I'm not patting myself on the back. It's literally a this is this is what happens when you are authentic, when you yeah, when you acknowledge yeah. what's going on. And people, I think, appreciate that and identify with it so much more. And I think it's also informing I think it's another this is maybe a side point, but it's why I think the show about Christ is is resonating so well because it's about characters who are very flawed and broken, just like me. <laughs> you know <laughs> We're dinging on that. That yeah. uh, Nailed it. Uh, you do the first poll. Okay, so these are the the, the, the five questions. Or no, the, not five, but a question I'm supposed to answer. Oh, you're going to... Did you go for yours? No, I didn't. Okay, okay. I, uh, if you chose to date one, would you choose Slimer from Ghostbusters or Stripe from Gremlins? And a bit of a hairpin turn on this conversation. Yes. So um, here's something that I'm going to have to admit. So when yes. I grew up, I, I actually... I pre- can lend
0: you Gremlins too if you want.
1: Right. No. So yeah. I was pre- I I grew up pretty in a, like I said, a pretty conservative Christian home. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't watch many movies, um, even though my dad's a movie buff. I was just kind of protective. So I've seen both Ghostbusters and Gremlins, but I could be I I have to be, again, in the spirit of raw authenticity, I have to admit I don't know who either of those characters are.
0: Uh Slimer so, is the green one, the okay. green ghost that eats a lot, okay. and Stripe is the main bad Gremlin with the, the mohawk on and you are allowed to ding
1: yourself out of this question i'm if just gonna say slimer because it involves eating and i'm a big eater and love food so
0: beautiful next right. thing is yours oh hey i should you can pull who can pull you can
1: pull okay i'll pull one out what do you got well these are both the two questions that you that you uh, oh, talked then. to me about beforehand so this is what's the title of your autobiography i would we'll skip it because i would say loaves and fishes how about that what's something oh here we go okay what's something you judge
0: others on even though you know it kind of makes you a bad person
1: oh that's a good question okay i judge others for like i think we might have even talked about this uh before the interview i my 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 kryptonite is um you know overly emotional people people who think emotionally and people who react emotionally to things um, because it, I always feel like it, it colors a discussion or a debate. I like to debate a lot, and um, and I, I I have learned just even over the last year that I need to stop judging people for their personalities and for their strengths and weaknesses because so much of it is is an inherent trait, and I'm trying to learn how to embrace the strengths and weaknesses of other people's personalities and my own. And so, for example, I'm a very literal person. I'm very clear. I, I, I'm, I, I prefer clarity to, to agreement even. I have a touch of Asperger's. And as much as I could say, well, I'm more accurate than the average person, that makes me better. Yeah. And what, it's how I tend to be yeah. when I'm in, in a discussion with someone is I'm like, well, I, you know, my, my facts are correct and yours aren't. And you're thinking more emotionally. I'm thinking more logically. Therefore, I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm realizing the weaknesses of that. I'm realizing that makes me a bad. To, to answer your question, that makes me a bad person because I sometimes miss subtext that's important. I sometimes miss in in, in my in my arguments with my wife, who has a more emotional tendency than I do, um, but is no less wrong about the spirit of what's happening. And uh, so I'm that that question is actually well-timed because it's something I've been really working on in the last year.
0: That's a total trick of the brain that, that like uh, the way I am is the way that people are supposed to be. That's a total it's, it's your brain completely, completely deceiving you. Well,
1: And I just finished a book um, by Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, who Mm -hmm. is the one who predicted Donald Trump would win the election from the moment he announced his candidacy and stayed with that prediction the whole time. And so he wrote a book called win bigly, uh, persuasion in a world where facts don't matter, and that you know, recognizing that 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 facts aren't usually the most important thing to someone when they are making a decision. Yeah. Again, I for I have to realize that that's the case. Number one, and I also have to realize that that's not always wrong. You know that that not, every time the actual facts of of a case do not necessarily mean that that's the only way to a- assess a situation, and uh, I'm not good at that and I need to be better at it very
0: fair let's see what's is it my pull or yours I'll do it you You, you go go, go.
1: when did you become confident in yourself and your talents (laughs) so unfortunately the answer is uh, from birth okay I've, <clears throat> I was, I was wondering if it was going to be from birth or not yet. Yeah, right, you, right. No, it's, it's for sure. Um, the most common thing that people think when they meet me, um, the most common criticism I've heard is uh, people think that I'm cocky. Um, I'm not actually cocky. Um, Isn't and, that one of those things that other people decide, not you? Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've, but I've never been, I've never lacked the ability to acknowledge my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. But I've also never lacked the ability to acknowledge my strengths. I've, and so, excuse me, I've always been confident in the things that I choose to do because mm-hmm. I only choose things to do that I'm confident in, if that makes sense. I'm not one of those people who, I know, I, know, I, I wish I, I was more like this, who like choose to do something. Because they're not good at it and they just want to discover it. Um, now, I do choose to get better at something before I do it. And I'm very much aware of my weaknesses. And so yeah. before I choose to do something, I'm like, I got to get better at that. Or, or my personality, like, again, if, if I, like for a couple of years ago, I realized I was struggling very much with narcissistic tendencies. Now, not necessarily in love with myself, but just recognizing that when I was in conversations, I was very proud of myself. So I literally read, I literally read books on the subject yeah. to get better at.
0: And nothing, at the, nothing is more fun than feeling
1: like you're right. There is no greater <laughs> right. rush. But because I'm a people pleaser, um, mm-hmm. which may surprise people, but I, I, you know, that's where the, I, I believe the narcissism was coming as I was so desirous of being liked um, that it was, you know, causing problems. and, um, causing me to do and say things that I that I shouldn't, and causing me to think things that I shouldn't, or to pursue goals that I shouldn't because of they, they were for the wrong reasons. And so, um, one of the things that led you know one of the things that informed that was again the feeling of being right. I love being right, combined with a lack of combined with a desire to be liked. I wouldn't take positions unless I was very confident in them because I mm-hmm. did never want to be proven wrong. So I don't actually get proven wrong too often, believe it or not, because not because I I'm never wrong. I, in fact, I am often, but because I don't usually share <laughs> the, my, yeah. my perspective unless until I've actually, really yeah, if it's, m- if it's it, less it, than
0: 90% research, just keep your mouth shut kind exactly, of approach to, exactly, to, to debate.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, I just don't, I don't say reckless things because I don't, I, I don't want to be proven wrong.
0: <laughs> Excellent. That's actually, that's, that's a bit of wisdom tucked in there. I'd Some, say. Somewhat. Let's. Let's do one or two more and then we got to we got to get you out that door. Uh, Would you would you? (laughs) Don't worry, I can take it. (laughs) You didn't meet my roommate. So (laughs) would you prefer to to, uh, co-star with me and my roommate or Mel Gibson and Johnny Depp?
1: See, Mel Gibson and Johnny Depp is such an odd pairing. Like I wouldn't want to co-star with Johnny Depp, but I would want to co-star with Mel Gibson. Um, I've actually met Mel Gibson uh, at his office uh, after a screening of The Passion of the Christ before it came out, and as 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 much of a psycho as he is, as we've heard from certain recordings, mm-hmm. he's actually also a very raw uh, and real person. So I think I'd probably choose Mel Gibson over you. No Aww, offense. Come on. No offense, but I but I would choose you over John, Johnny Depp. Hey, <laughs> take that, Johnny Depp!
0: <laughs> right. Uh, Um, your turn. One more. Yeah, let's do one more and then we'll, we'll, we'll
1: rock out of here. Well, this is perfect. Should faith-based films always be rated G or PG? Why not rated R? Uh, so, so the answer to the faith-based film should, should they be always rated G or PG is absolutely not. Um, the most successful faith-based movie of all time is in fact rated r uh, the passion of the christ um here's the ultimate problem and this is a, probably a topic for a whole other podcast but or a whole other episode but the the term faith-based film has been bastardized in many ways it's hard to kind of know, even know how to define it um I mean, I, I could make an argument that The Matrix is a faith-based film um, because it's such a, a great metaphor for the story of, of Christ um, and is so it has so many great Christian, godly uh, metaphors and storylines in it.
0: It's no and, accident that it's Zion and the Nebuchadnezzar and all that stuff. Uh, well, like of it's, course.
1: And there's no—it's not unintentional. They no, weren't throwing darts at a board for names on everything. No, absolutely. Yeah, well said. And so— um, I think the problem is, and this is something that f- that that filmmakers who ask these kinds of questions and who complain about the fact that why are all faith-based movies a certain way, is that it's been extraordinarily difficult to, f- to, to crack the code of how to market a faith-based film that would be rated R, for example,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and find an audience. Right now, in, in the pop culture media world, everything is niche other than the $200 million films that, that come out in theaters. Even studios are not releasing at even close to the pace they used to. Anything that's challenging, anything that's... You know, again, you hear the... the oh, yeah, you the, go back to the 70s, and every like
0: every summer movie was a, a, an art film, an oh, experimental... Oh, 100%. Watch 2001 again, and
1: tell me that's not, not an off-the-wall experimental art film. Absolutely. So now everything is safe. And so... Even the studios, when when I was meeting with Blumhouse and WWE and Walden and all these big companies about faith-based films, they were the ones who were telling me to make sure that we don't offend the audience and that we we appeal to the core audience. And so you've gotten, you get a lot of like faith-based filmmakers who want to push the envelope, who want Mm -hmm. to do something challenging, who want to make a rated R faith-based movie. I hear this all the time, who don't want to be safe. And they they would be surprised to be in a meeting with a Hollywood executive who would say, "Well, why would you no, why would you want to make a movie that's going to upset a good chunk of your core audience?" Yeah, yeah. We don't do that. Why would you do that? You know, because from a marketing and branding and financial perspective, nowadays you 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 know you want to embrace what you've got going for you, and if it's a faith based thing, you need to go after the faith based audience. And if they largely are going to get offended by things that push the envelope too much, why would you do that? And so then the answer would be. Okay, I'm going to try to get financing to do a challenging movie that's R or PG-13, and I'm not going to necessarily market it as a faith-based film. I'm just going to market it as a regular film. Well, great. Well, I mean, it's a great noble goal. I'd love to do it. Good luck getting the money for it. Yeah, yeah, They don't yeah. do very well at the box office because most movies don't do well at the box office unless they are $150, $200 million action extravaganzas or they're safe for a wide, wide range of audiences. I like this idea. Jesus in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's uh, he, he he's certainly good. He's certainly got some superpowers so this- that he would fit in. But, but yeah, that's... Everyone wants to do it. No one has fully yeah. cracked the code yet. Yeah. Um, you know, and you even look at the most recent successful faith-based movie. I actually just ran into these guys last night. The uh, I can only imagine which made you know seventy plus million dollars. Um, that that pushed the envelope a little bit in the sense that you know there's there, there's struggles and there you know which a lot of faith-based movies are pretty saccharine. Um, but even that movie was very much on the nose in terms of its. I mean, it's it's very uplifting. it's it's, it's not it's not a movie that anyone's going to walk away from. Um, challenged in what they've allowed yeah. themselves to watch. You know, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. It's it's relatively safe, and, and I'm not saying that as a negative. Um, it's a good movie. Um, and the same thing with my movie, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. It's PG. I would have loved for it to be PG-13, but the, the studios would never have let me do that because they wanted it to be for this audience. And so we have to move the needle slowly but surely, but, but th- there is not room right now uh, unless... You make a movie that's so amazing, it just bursts through all these barriers. But there's just not room right now for a challenging, R-rated, ultimately faith-based movie. That doesn't mean it can't happen. I mean, obviously, there wasn't room for Pulp Fiction before it happened. I mean, Yeah, there's
0: no room for it until
1: it happens, and then
0: everybody else is is running to catch up. But but, until uh, it happens, it, it can't happen.
1: Right, and I'd love to be the one to do it. Uh, but until I meet a billionaire who's willing to to, to write a check for twenty five million dollars that has a very good chance of 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 not making money, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to uh, doing a, D, a Jesus TV show with money raised from six thousand people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's, let's let's ro- let's ride out on these thoughts. Great, absolutely. All right, here's we've got closing music. If I can find it, yes, here it is. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Hollywood Fishbowl. <laughs> I am and have been and will continue to be your host, Jesse Kester. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at HWFishBowl. If you want more, find us on the internet at HollywoodFishBowl.com. But it's not
1: about us. It's about our guests. Where can we find you? Who's mildly turned on right now because of the music and the, the dulcet tones of the outro. Uh, That is is our goal on this program, please. uh, The best place to find me and what I'm doing right now is thechosen.tv, www.thechosen.tv free pilot episode of my new show and also see more about me and what i'm doing
0: and you can check out that that sweet sweet uh, pharisee roast comedy
1: <laughs> we've all been waiting yeah, for Yes, that's what's going to be on the poster find the, the, the finest pharisee roast comedy in the history of movies
0: oh you could bring in jeff ross you could yes. bring in anthony jeselnik and have them really
1: tear just, those pharisees just, a new one you just spoke my love language those are two of my favorite comics in the world so i just don't know that they'd fit within a jesus show but hey who knows